are live. Thank you all. Thank you so much for being here. We are live at New York Comic Con, and this is the science of science fiction. We are so happy today to have two world experts on the science and science fiction. Uh, these are folks that I can't wait to speak with and to share all of our knowledge with you all. And later on, we have some questions, and actually, we even have giveaways. So we can hopefully try to give something away to you all. That'll be fun. All right, so let me introduce the first person who will be sitting, I think, over here. This is a professor that studies the deadliest creatures in the world, inch for inch, ounce for ounce, pound for pound. If there's a creature that's an animal, not necessarily a protist, okay, and you're looking for poison, venom, this is the person to go to. Everyone, please welcome Dr. Mandy Holford. Hello, Mandy. Thank you so much for coming. Go ahead and move right in front of that microphone there. Yep, so that we can do that. Thank you so much for coming today. Hi, everyone. Thank yes. you. And, and I want to just start by asking you, who is your favorite superhero? Oh, my favorite superhero. Yeah. Used to be Spawn. Spawn. <laughs> Used to be Spawn. Okay. I now am a big fan of Black Panther, of course. Yes. <laughs> And I, I now have to say that it's always sort of been, um, for me, uh, Storm. Storm. Yes. Storm has always been, always will be, <laughs> since her debut at X-Men 94. Yes. So, our other guest, I'm very, very pleased. Uh, one of the world's leading experts on the ecology of Wakanda, <laughs> as opposed to, say, some other... African kingdoms that you can think of. But nevertheless, she's going to be here to tell us about things of tremendous interest as far as humans and nature and super stuff is concerned. Please welcome Kendra Pierre-Lewis. Hello. Hi. Okay, make sure to pull your mics real close to one another. Okay. Uh, yep. Uh, although we could unmask, we choose to stay masked at this moment, and I hope that's okay with everybody. If you can't hear for any reason, the microphone, that's why I asked uh, our colleagues to move the microphones closer together so we can see each other what's going on, uh, and hear each other. See each other. Hey, <laughs> I see you. You yeah. see me. I see you. You see. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Daryl Hall and John Oates. Uh, <laughs> superheroes? Uh, another panel, perhaps. Okay, everybody. Let me start by asking Mandy. Venom, yes. Let There Be Carnage, Lots came out last week. <laughs> okay, now Have some people really like it. Other people are like, eh, but that's okay. We are not going to spoil it for you. We promise to try to not spoil any of these big movies, but we're gonna be talking about them in general and use the concepts that are okay. in them. Mandy, since you are one of the world's leading experts about Venom, not specifically that Venom symbiote Venom character, but Venom in general, tell us about the Venom of this killer snail. My killer snail? Your killer okay. snail. <laughs> so I work with killer snails, correct? These are snails that feed on fish, worms, and other snails. And I'll ask a question of the audience, because uh, the Venom you're talking about the Venom movie is a symbiotic Venom, right? And so can you name an animal that is only venomous based on a symbiotic relationship? Ooh. Ticks and fleas, yes, that's one. Another? Yeah. Poison dart frog. Yeah, poison dart frog, and I didn't hear you up front. The Komodo dragon. Komodo dragon. I don't think about the, the dragon, but. Their saliva <laughs> gets bacterial yeah. venom in them, yeah. right? But yes. But, um, yes, but the poison dart frog is the one that I wanted to talk about because that's the one that's uh, very, the one that most people confuse 
number one, they think it's venomous when it's poisonous. And number two, it's not always poisonous, right? It has to feed on what's there in the Amazon, the insects and ticks and ants and other things. You take it out of there and you don't give it its food, it's no longer venomous, <laughs> right? <Which is laughs> or no longer true. poisonous. Right. But the killer snails that I work with, they're always venomous because they make it. So that's the big difference between poisonous and venomous, right? Poisonous is something that you have to ingest. Venomous has to pierce the skin and it's made endogenously. So our snails make their compounds that make them lethal, whereas these poison dart frogs, they have to eat something, and that's how they become dangerous. Now, by that definition, is venom venomous? Venom, because he came from something else and was not made, I guess venom might be more of a poison than a venom. Ooh. <laughs> uh. <laughs> So the next movie is not Venom, Let There Be Carnage. It's Poison, Let There Be Carnage. <laughs> That's carnage for you. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> now, this is one of the three topics generally we're going to be talking about today. In one is nature. This is the first one. And if we have any questions out there, we're going to manage this in a 21st century style. I have here uh, tweeting. If you tweet your questions to <laughs> at the Luniverse, we will be able to see it right on the screen and hopefully we'll be able to get to them right away. My hope is to be able to get a whole bunch of questions in because that's what this is all about. What do you all want to know about this cool stuff, right? So uh, let's go, Kendra. Let me ask you about nature in specific about science and science fiction. Okay. You have written extensively about how science fiction and superhero movies and so forth all seem to suggest that we humans are some sort of uh, naturally destructive to the environment. Yes. Give us a little bit about that. And if, is that true? Like all superheroes fundamentally are, are anti-eco? <laughs> I think it's more um, all Westerners are uh, fundamentally think that sort of since a lot of it, I don't know, since a lot of it comes from like Judeo-Christianity, I think a lot of us think that we fit the apple. And so we think that humans are fundamentally flawed when oh. it comes to nature. And so instead of borrowing from other traditions that view humans in a relationship to nature, we tend to think of humans as naturally destructive. And you can sort of tell that like in movies whenever it's like a really pastoral and like beautiful setting, you know, that's like when some shit's going to go down, right? Yeah. We never look at a bucolic setting and are like, oh, th you know, this is going to be a lovely, calm movie. We're like, <laughs> no, murder and mayhem is coming. Um, yeah, and you sort of also sort of see that my big, I think, complaint about it is like with Thanos, right? He was a freaking eco-fascist, right? <laughs> like, yes. Like the through line is that like, I'm going to save the world by killing half of everything. Thanos. <laughs> and then he does, and all of a sudden there are, dolph there are whales in the Hudson, right? So he like <laughs> kind of did it, right. right? Like what's the moral? There are too many humans. Like right. <laughs> it's a really effed up moral. It's, it's obnoxious. Thanos saves the world by killing half of all humanity. But wait, didn't he kill half of all the whales too? <laughs> did he not kill half thing. of every living thing? Every living thing. Yeah, right. every living thing. That's what thing. it said, right? Yes. And so actually, if he killed half the whales, they might not have enough of a breeding population anymore. They couldn't find each other. They could actually cause their own extinction as a result. But based on the timeline that we see get played out, it didn't, it worked, right? That's like right. So Oh Again, man. reinforcing the idea that humans are bad for nature. Yeah, humans bad for nature. Bummer. But you know of an example in the comic world right. where humans are not bad for nature. Right, Wakanda. Wakanda. <laughs> Wakanda <laughs> forever. Yes. Talk to uh, us about Wakanda, please. Yeah, so I wrote a piece called Wakanda Doesn't Have Suburbs, which um, if you spend an, a lot of time watching in the opening scene of Black Panther, where they, not the opening, but like the first time we sort of see Wakanda in Black Panther. It never gets old. And you sort of watch it frame by frame, which I strongly recommend you do. Um, you sort of see it goes from wilderness, if you will, to like a really pastoral setting where there's literally like, um, uh, what are they called? Um, <laughs> trees. Like, not trees. What are they called? <laughs> what are people who, sh like shepherds? And then it's the city, right? There's no middle ground between rural and the city and then when you get to the city you see all sorts of things like the city doesn't have paved roads um it does have it doesn't seem to have cars it has it does have seem to have what looks like high-speed rail not just the one that they you know not just the one that's like the 
final scene with yeah. um, Killmonger, but like even within the town itself, you see the buildings have a lot of kind of like this building, like green roofs and interspersed greenery, They, which is kind of a model of what most people think successful human society will look like. It'll be relatively dense urban settings that do a lot of, have a lot of natural and green spaces with them, and then rural. Like there won't be a lot of middle ground. Mm. Now, how many of us live in suburbs? How many of us like living in the suburbs? <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> Kendra, we have an issue. I like living in the suburbs. We have a climate change problem, and suburbs yeah. have a really should, high carbon Should superheroes, like, destroy the suburbs for us? <laughs> Would that be a r the right thing to do? How? I mean, it <laughs> yes. Yes? <laughs> <laughs> just, just skip my house, right? I mean, there are many... Then I become an exurb. There are many ways of destroying a suburb, I guess. But there are <laughs> many ways to destroy suburbs. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. So what's the best way that a superhero can destroy a suburb and make it happy? Um, move all of the people out and then raise it. Oh. <laughs> so you mean like kill half the population. <laughs> I said move. Take out the stuff and then make them come back <laughs> somewhere else. Uh-oh. <laughs> Falcon and Winter Soldier, anybody? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Wonderful series. Yeah. So, Mandy, in Falcon and Winter Soldier, you have a circumstance where the blip happens, half the population is gone, and then, boom, half the population comes back five years later. Mm -hmm. What ecological result is that going to cause? Do you see something like in your organisms? Uh, what happens to nature when that happens? When you're talking about regeneration? Yes. Yeah. Yes. How does how do we come back? We do we come back? What do we do? We usually don't come back. <laughs> I oh. think it's we're all well aware. <laughs> but in nature, there are lots of animals that can regenerate. Oh. You know? In the marine world, there are things like the star starfish, which starfish. is well known for regeneration. Especially in Suicide Squad. Starro. Star yeah. yeah. I was there happy you go. looking at the stars. <laughs> exactly. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> exactly. And so Starro can regenerate and come back. And so we have that. And aging is another popular thing that happens. So mm. you think that these people aren't coming back because we get old and we die. Right. But we have sea urchins that are on the bottom of the ocean for lots and lots of years. And they're one of the oldest living animals on the planet. And mm. by studying them, they're both venomous and they're ageless. Not to say that venom is the way to go, but I think it is. Oh. <laughs> that might be the secret to the fountain of youth. <laughs> and it's also the secret to never dying. So wow. if you want to regenerate and you want to never die, get some venom in you, is Ooh. what I'm saying. <laughs> Everyone call Brock. Okay. <laughs> that sounds exciting. How about you? From your ecological perspective, Kendra, what do you think would happen as far as the human ecosystem? I don't think five years is a long enough time. When we watch the, when you open up to the second Avengers movie, or End like the, game. yeah, the mm -hmm. second part two. Um, words are hard, and this is my first time around humans in a long time, so please <laughs> bear with me. Um, we totally get many it. humans. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Paul Rudd's character, the Ant-Man, um, you know, he his, his neighborhood is intact. It's like the houses where people are gone are sort of falling apart, but the structure is still intact. And we know from cities that have lost population that the infrastructure and all, all of that sti still stays there. So, like, fundamentally, five years is just not long enough to sort of, like, moved everyone out of the suburbs or anything unfortunately so i think more you know probably carbon emissions are lower for a while mm. but the second we get people back those emissions pop up so it buys us a little bit of time um to act on climate change but beyond that i don't think there's a big fundamental difference wow so so really thanos didn't do anything not on the not when because the people came back yeah, because we came back but i'm not pro that Darn this it. is horrible this makes me sound like i'm all in favor of genocide i'm not <laughs> <laughs> no i don't think any of us are in favor of no. genocide but yes it's that true isn't it you know. so this is a thought process that we you know academics might be thinking asking you guys as fans of the movies and the genres how realistic is this inf impact to the environment you know the answer is not really not very realistic but still worth thinking about now uh, before we go to our first break, let me just ask one last question of each of you, open-ended, free-form. If there were a superhero or some other fictional character that you would rely upon to save the world mm -hmm. in a catastrophe, mm -hmm. which one would you choose? I'm going to go very old school. Captain Planet. Captain Planet! <laughs> yes! 
<laughs> and what would you have Captain Planet do? I mean, I don't know if you've noticed, but we're in a little bit of trouble. Psychologically, <laughs> he's got yeah. a lot going on. He's got plenty to do. Okay, Captain Planet. Mandy? I'm going to go green, and I'm going to go with the Incredible Hulk. Ooh, <laughs> Because yes. he has both the brains and the brawn, and so in case we need to either outsmart them or beat them up, he can do both. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so question before we go to our first break. I want to take a poll of the class. Do people like the savage version of the Hulk in the movies better, or do they prefer the gentle professorial Hulk in the movies better? Professor Hall. Okay. <laughs> okay, let's let's do have a show of hands, okay, and I'll I'll call out what it is. Okay, everyone wants the Savage Hulk. Raise your hand. Yeah, Savage. <laughs> All right, not a bad. Professor Hulk. <laughs> professor. Professor. The professor wins? <laughs> oh, <laughs> we love it. Okay. Yes, the movies after all. Okay. So, one more uh, we'll take our first Twitter question. And we'll take that break. The Masked Priest asks, you mentioned the difference between venom and poison. Can you talk about the Rhabdophis tigrinus snake? The Rhabdophis tigris snake. Okay. I don't know that species of snake, sorry. <laughs> Me neither. You know that species? I don't know. Uh-oh. <laughs> Can't talk about it. To be continued. <laughs> Let's take a break, and we'll be right back here at New York Comic Con. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> we are having so much fun. This is great. Okay, everybody, now look at least 20 feet away for at least 20 seconds so that your eyes, you know, get your back to this whole submarine vision thing with all the zoom. Remember all that? Okay. <laughs> oh, right. I better stop. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Mayim Bialik, can I can I sing that? Is that all right? <laughs> Ken Jennings? Yeah, maybe? Okay. <laughs> all right. Back in five, four, three, two, one. And we are back at New York Comic Con. Thank you all so much for being here. We are talking about the science of science fiction. We are going to have a great time. My name is Charles Liu. As you know, you may call me Chuck. I'm here with Dr. Mandy Holford, venom expert extraordinaire, and environmental cultural expert, Kendra Pierre-Lewis. We're gonna move on to the next topic, technology and humans and superheroes. And I wanna do this and I want you, again, anybody who wants to ask a question, please feel free to tech, uh, tweet it to at the universe. And when you do so, if it shows up here and we get a chance to ask it, we will, okay? And we will have answers from these wonderful experts. And we're gonna talk about technology because I wanna start with a concept of technology advancing humans. I'm not spoiling anything from the Black Widow movie that's come out this past summer uh, to if I tell you that in the Black Widow movie, it is revealed that uh, Natasha Romanoff has had bioengineering improvements stuck in her head so that she can be more vicious and more capable and more talented. Now, on the one hand, that for me makes sense. Like, wow, how does Natasha Romanoff in Black Widow do all these amazing things? Oh, she's enhanced, right? So that's one thing. But on the other hand, I kind of was hoping that like Hawkeye, uh, like some of the other folks, it was actually just their natural ability that somehow made them stand out. They were normal human beings, but because of their training and because of their gifts, they somehow were be able to be superhuman, right? So let me start by asking Mandy, what do you think about humans being their own superpower? Should we think of ourselves as just being super powerful anyway without these biotechnology things? Absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. Yes? <laughs> All right. I think we are that fans. humans, uh, because I think the ultimate superpower is the brain, right? And we are all born with that. Professor X, one of my faves, is an amazing, amazing intellect. And we are all born with the brain, and we can certainly have it and use it. And, and so the technology that will help us enhance it, it, they're coming in many forms. But for sure, I think humans can certainly think of themselves as superheroes. Because I like to say that, you know, being a scientist is one of the cheapest jobs on the planet. It's kind of like the soccer of sports, because you know, to play soccer, you basically just need a ball 
or a can or anything round that'll move. <laughs> and as humans, we are born with the thing that we need to be super powered or superhuman, and that's a brain. And so I think that a yeah. super villain. Yes, you can be. I didn't say you'd be. I didn't say exactly. I didn't say you have to be a superhero. You could be also a supervillain. You mm -hmm. just be a superhuman, right? Because <laughs> you right. have a brain. The the most brainy supervillain of all time, Doctor Doom. Do we all agree, or is it somebody else that's worse? Lex, Lex Luthor ain't so bad. That's Lex right. Luthor. Yep. Mm -hmm. Brainiac. Magneto. Magneto. Oh, Magneto's brain does magnetic stuff. Yeah. Right, as opposed to thought process, which is still cool. Yes, I think it's great. Kendra, do you think, Kendra, mm -hmm. that technology enhancing humans will somehow affect us in ways that we don't understand yet? Or is it just a good thing to have lots of people with lots of enhancements in their bodies? I think that humanity's greatest superpower is our ability to, <coughs> is our ability to work together. Um, and we know that, like, this is why humans have managed to do the things that we've done is through collective action and through being able to coordinate things. I think enhancement for the individual for the sake of the individual will probably and inevitably lead to problems. But if it, the goal is for collective benefit, you know, um, you know, we already have enhanced humans running around. People, I bet there's someone in the audience with a pacemaker. Um, yeah. I don't know if you guys have been following kidney discourse, but I recently learned that mm -hmm. when you get a kidney transplant, they don't remove your kidneys. They just add another one in. So there are people running around with three kidneys, which Ooh. is just bananas to me. <laughs> um, now that's a superpower. Right? What do I have? <laughs> I, I have an have extra two. kidney. Uh -huh. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there are, you know, there are lots of people who are running around with enhancements, I guess. Um, but those are enhancements for quality of life and to give them the benefits of, you know, continuing to exist. So I think we're already kind of there. I think the goal to, like, be bigger and better and, like, faster, I think that comes from competitiveness. And I think we're at a place now where we need to focus more on collectiveness. Ooh, collectiveness. Okay, so like the Avengers. Yeah. They need to assemble. <laughs> we all need to assemble. But, but Mandy... Um, as a biologist thinking about how creatures are enhanced because they have the ability, for example, to create venom and to right. sting and so forth, how does a mechanical improvement to an organic system work? Does, it, does these kinds of connections make sense? Like when, when you have a so-called uh, cybernetic improvement of, of a person? Sure, you can. I mean, uh, venom is works kind of because it transforms a physical warfare into a biochemical one, right? And so mm. where it used to be that brute strength is what's going to dominate, it now becomes that it's the makeup of these compounds that dictates what's going to happen. And so in, your, if in this case, we know from CRISPR technology and from enhanced Ooh. soldiers and all of these things that if you're going to pair the biochemical with technology, you can do some amazing things. And for sure, yeah. it's already happening, as, as Kendra said. We have enhanced people that are walking around where we're linking technology and genetic material together. They're organoids. These are, you might have heard of mini brains or mini guts or mini livers. This is I the have a mini brain. <laughs> <laughs> it's the exact replica of the organ, but on a benchtop in the laboratory that we can work on. And we pair those with with certain things and we can start to put maybe a mini brain inside of a robot and then the robot is moving and doing things and so uh, using technology to enhance human abilities is something that we've been doing for a while it's not new we just now have much more powerful technology at, at our disposal yeah what about modern technology Kendra do you can you tell us examples like a okay the vision who doesn't like the vision right well actually let's take another poll Multicolor vision or white vision? <laughs> eh? Which one of you like? Multi multicolor? I hear multicolor. Then I hear white. Anybody? White vision. Anyone who, whoever prefers white vision over multicolor vision, raise your hand. Mm -hmm. No. There's like three. Three of you out there. <laughs> Stand strong. Everybody else multicolor vision? Yes? <laughs> All right. Okay. There you go. Well, we have to talk about that in the next segment. The ship of Theseus. Ah, my favorite dialogue of all time. Okay, but let's worry about that later. Technology, humans, fake humans. Are robots going to save us? <laughs> <laughs> Someone already has a strong opinion on that. I mean, look at what it took 
vision is great, but look at how many people died in the process of getting him. Ooh. And so the question we always have to ask ourselves is who, who kind of generates the technology and who bears the consequence of that technology? We're sort of living through that now with social media, right? Like we know that Facebook helped prevent genocide in Myanmar. Um, we know that we're using technology to sway elections and to change, to sway rhetoric around <laughs> whether or not we wear a mask or whether or not we get vaccinated. And so always that question, I think, I think we often, we, we, our culture links progress to technological progress and it doesn't link progress to other things like, does everybody get to eat? Um, does everyone get access to healthcare? Does everyone get access to education? What are your roads like? We don't link progress in that way. And so what ends up happening is we adopt technology without questioning whether it's good for us. And then once it's rolled out, we have to make a decision about how do we roll it back? Or how do we put controls over it? But that process of figuring out how to put controls on something is usually one of the point after it's done something catastrophic to our society. Mm. Yeah. That's kind of a, a, a remarkable, a remarkable way to put the, the situation that we're in today. Uh, technology itself is not evil, but technology can lead to things that we consider yeah. uh, evil or undesirable depending on how it's used, right? Much like venom to some extent. Now, you were telling me, I think, Mandy, um, about how venom, for example, has led to medicine. Exactly. The, the things that, very things that we thought were evil turned out to save lives, probably save many more lives than they've killed, right? Exactly, yes. In, in the case of our snails, anyway, and, and Kendra raises a good point. It's how we use the technology that becomes important. And as scientists, we're always just going after the, the problem or the question, excited about what we can do without sometimes pausing to think, should we do and, and should we pursue? But in the case of, of our venom, in I, I think the answer is yes, because you know venom can kill, but it can also cure. And a lot of, uh, of the compounds that we are working with are treating ailments like pain and cancer and epilepsies in, in new ways that were not thought of before. There is a drug on the market that is treating pain without addiction that comes from a killer snail. Who would have thought? <laughs> and so the idea that, yes, technology can be a force for for good, but it can also be a force for evil. Very similar to venom, it can very much be a force for, for evil, as we know, because it kills people. <laughs> yes, it does. But it can also help be a force for good when we're using it for medicinal and biomedical um, applications. In my lab, we're looking to find um, pain therapies that are not addictive and that can be delivered you know, peripherally. And we're also looking for things that can treat cancer that are specific just to um, killing the tumor and not killing everything inside of the body. Would that be awesome? And all of that is from Venom. Right? Yeah, <laughs> Venom, yes. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. Okay, so I am going to now take some questions off of the, the universe. Now, those of you who wish to, feel free to tweet your questions. The link is right there, at the universe. And we're gonna do a couple of technology things and have you all sort of respond to that. Okay, what's up, Frank says, do you, th what, uh, do you think the technology in Cyborg presumably the Justice League superhero, will be real in humans anytime soon. Kendra, what do you think? I mean, maybe, but the <laughs> thing that I think, I don't know, for me the part with Cyborg that's most interesting is questions around consent, right? Consent. Um, mm. Yeah, so maybe, but th to me that isn't the most interesting question. Um, I think aspects of te technology, like things around improving vision and all of that are there. But again, what's the end goal? Do we really need more effective ways of killing each other? Is that our goal? Um, there are aspects of, of what is in him that I think are really beneficial in terms of people with vision problems or people with mobility issues that can be beneficial in that way. But I think if the end goal is to just make another super soldier, you know, Captain America aside, because he's cute. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That is America's <laughs> ass. <laughs> yes. Um, well, great points, actually. That leads right to this other question here. Um, for all mankind uh, is a show, movie, etc., that shows the innovations that emerge as a result of the Soviets going to the moon first, like electric cars, for example. Does that mean we need this military rivalry to justify government spending for real innovation? What do you think, Mandy? No, not at all. We don't need <laughs> military rivalry to justify innovations in science. What we need are bright minds working on, on tough questions. What we need, I think, 
is a way to teach children about science that's engaging and doesn't make them think it's boring and something they don't want to pursue. And so I think if, number one, we're teaching science in a way that students are excited about the fact that, yes, we have a lot of challenges coming at us, climate change, uh, crazy weather, uh, global health issues, but these are things to want to tackle, not things to be scared of and run away, and to present to students in a way as, can you save the planet? Can you be our superhero? Can you be the one to help figure out how these things happen? We don't need military competition. We need better STEM education. That's what we need. Okay. <laughs> Wonderful. Well said. Thank you. I think, I think, uh, Here's a song. yep. Now, I am now going to ask the question of you both. Okay. You guys can answer it in turn. We'll, we'll start with Mandy. This question I'm going to bring to you, Kendra, okay, as soon as you're ready, uh, as soon as you, you finish answering, Mandy. The question is from, uh, I lost it, there it is, Darshil Chauhan asks, what will be the biggest technological advancement in the next 100 years? Oh, wow. <laughs> I don't know what will be, that's a tough question to answer. A very t I can tell you from my field what I think might be a big one yeah. um, is the fact that we're making these, as I mentioned before, organoids, which is a way to replicate venom glands in the lab. Currently, the only way we can study venom is from the organism itself. In my case, we go out to tropical marine environments and we snorkel or dive to get the snails. And you wear really thick gloves, and right? And we wear really thick gloves. Okay, just checking, <laughs> just checking. <laughs> and we bring them back. But because of COVID, we haven't been able to travel, so now we have to think up another way of getting the venom glands. So now we have to make synthetic versions. So I think synthetic biology is actually an advance that's going to, in the next 100 years, have uh, implications that are beyond what we're thinking about right now not just for um, biomedical research, which is what we'll use the venom to look for novel therapies, but for agriculture as well. I mean, the Impossible Burger and all of these things, that's synthetic biology. And so both our diet and our health um, implications are, are tied to what we find out there. Wonderful. Kendra, same question. What will be the biggest advance in the next 100 years? So in my daily life, I'm a climate reporter and uh, one part of me is like, you're really optimistic. We've got another 100 years. But, um, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Kendra. <laughs> we're gonna, we're it's gonna fine. I'll be done. So much for the party now. <laughs> we're we going yeah, Okay. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> but the thing that I think of a lot is we know we have all of the te technologies that we need right now in order to cut carbon emissions. We know, we know what to do. What we don't have is the political and the social will to do it, right? So it doesn't matter what we create if we can't roll it out, if we can't disseminate it, if we can't implement it. And so I guess if I were gonna put a dream out there, it would be figuring out how to get our, our stuff together um, <laughs> so that we can better implement the things that we need to implement. So for me, the greatest technology that we can come up with is social and not a gadget. We have the, we have the widgets, we just aren't putting them in the right spots. Wow. Wow. And I cannot think of a better crowd to do that than you all starting today, <laughs> right? You are, you are the ones. We, we are the ones. The New York Comic Con community are the ones that can do that. I mean, th we are a community the way that very few other places are. I will tell you what I think the next 100 years will bring us in terms of technologies. I think they will be matched in importance, equal in how incredible they are. Number one is that I believe that human beings will reach the escape velocity for our lifespans, which means that our life expectancies will begin to exceed the ability uh, for us to die. I believe that there will come within the 100-year period the ability for human beings to live indefinitely. That's, that's amazing, and I think it's likely. And the other thing I think will be really cool is I think we'll regularly be commuting to Mars. Those are the two things I think will happen in the next 100 years, which I think will be really great. Can I ask about the first one? What Ooh. do you think is going to happen that prevents us from dying? Uh, or you mean life expectancy, life escape expectancy. velocity? Yes. Um, I believe that we have so much understanding that's coming in the next 100 years about the human body and about biology in general that we will literally be able to stave off 
any potential medical disaster that befalls us. We will be able to see what's happening. We'll be able to see from our genes, the CRISPR stuff that you mentioned, that we will be able to prevent diseases before they even occur. And I think the only way that you'll die is if you fall in front of a bus. <laughs> That's my opinion. <laughs> Please don't fall in front of buses, everybody. <laughs> well, we have so much more to cover. We'll be right back. Thank you, everybody. We are here live at New York Comic Con. <laughs> This is going great. You guys are amazing. Thank you so much for this. If you want to take a break right now, go ahead. It's going to be about 60 seconds. Again, look somewhere at least 20 feet away for about 20 minutes. We're going to get to the multiverse in the next, next section. Uh -huh. Those of you who are here, um, not here at the very beginning, know that this is part of something that will eventually become uh, a podcast. And so if you guys are making loud noises and ask big questions and do that, that would be great. Stretch, everybody. Stretch. Yes, and head off to the next panels that you want to go to. If you want to go to them, please feel free. And if you're coming in, come in now, and we will finish this up in the next. Yep. Okay. I, I have quiz questions. Hmm? I have quiz questions for the Bay Area. You got it. <laughs> All right. Island Builder? Those are games. Oh. Neat. Okay, everybody, we are coming back in. Everybody moving around, do your thing. Thank you for stretching. Thank you for doing stuff. All right. I'm going to count you down, and we're going to bring one more loud cheer in. We're going to finish up this thing, okay? All right. In three, two, one. We are back at New York Comic Con. Thank you all so much for being here today. I am here with Mandy Holford and with Kendra Pierre-Lewis. This is an amazing opportunity to talk about the science of sci-fi, and we are now up to the thing that I'm wearing my costume for. Uh, albeit I don't have the TVA stamp on my left <laughs> side here. I didn't have nothing to do with Marvel, and I do not have the word variant on my back of my jacket. Okay? <laughs> We're talking about the multiverse. <laughs> All right? It is time to really suss out Loki, to suss out Endgame. Is there such a thing as a quantum realm? What is the deal with Kang? And those things actually have science? Are they actually involved? Okay? The answer is yes, there's actually science with this. We'll get to it in a moment in greater detail, but let me first start just by telling you all that there is something which many of you may have heard of called the many worlds interpretation of quantum mechanics. The basic idea is that every time a quantum particle goes in one direction or another, does a this or that or a left or right, we experience one actual reality that comes as a result of this. But there is a second reality that is spawned at that moment where it went left or it didn't switch. In that case, a new parallel universe has literally been created in that instant. And then another, and then another. With every single moment, every single quantum transaction, a new universe is created. And so mathematically, there is no way to tell apart any of those many worlds, many universes. When this was first idea, that was first proposed 50 plus years ago, uh, the scientist that proposed it was not taken seriously. And the reason is we live in one universe. How can we measure all those others? And furthermore, every time you create a universe, does that mean that there's a whole universe worth of energy, a whole universe worth of matter, a whole universe worth of everything that has been created with it at the same time, right? Those questions have not yet been solved, but mathematically, the many worlds interpretation of quantum mechanics is as valid as any other interpretation, and therefore, could there be multiverses? The answer is yes. But we'll talk about the time variance authority and Kang and all those guys in a moment, because it is now time for us to give stuff away. All right? <laughs> Party time, everybody. <laughs> Mandy has. I have games. <laughs> so. Um, From New York Comic Con, what else are we going to have? What else right? are we going to have? That's right. So remember my answer that we need better STEM education. <laughs> so we're hoping that we make these games for, from Killer Snails. So today I have a bunch of games to give away. And I'm going to ask some uh, trivia questions. And, and whoever answers first gets one of the games. The game I'm Ooh. giving away today is Biome Builder. 
It's one of our best tabletop games. Um, in it, it's about the food web. Of course, who's eating whom? It's killer snails. <laughs> and it's won the um, International Serious Play Award. So it's, it's a really good game. Okay, and so, so here's how the mechanics are going to go for this one. We're going to give one game away right now. We're going to wait till later to give away another game. The question is going to be asked by Mandy. Anyone who shouts out, I'm afraid you're disqualified from getting the prize. Even though you know the answer, you have to raise your hand rapidly. Oh, and okay. Okay? Raise your hand, and then Kendra will choose a person who will uh, answer that question. Okay? I'm sorry that we couldn't do it more elegantly than that, <laughs> but that's how we're going to do it. Does that sound okay? So as soon as the quiz get question gets asked here, raise your hand, and then Kendra will ask, uh, will, will choose a person, and then you answer, and if you're correct, then you get this prize. Okay? All right, go ahead. All right, first question is about the Spider-Man series, since we're talking Spider-Man and Venom. Spider the spider that bit uh, 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 Peter Parker also bit somebody else. Who is it, and what did, what did she become? I gave it. <laughs> that dude right there. The dude right there. No? Okay. No. Then the dude who kept his hand up that... Uh, In the back. In the I back. See it. That yes. person. Yeah, yes. you. Uh-huh. She became Spider-Gwen. Is that correct, everybody? That is uh, the correct answer, isn't it? I was talking about the same universe. Oh, not in an no, the same Maybe universe. Maybe this, this right up front? Oh, yeah. she's no. picking. Kendra, Sorry. go ahead. The character is Silk. The character is Silk, and this, the person... The person's name was? Might not remember. Oh. <laughs> okay. Kendra. Sorry. Um... <laughs> All the way in the back. Yeah. Yes. Cindy oh, Moon. Cindy Moon <laughs> was written and became Silk. You know what? We're going to give one to each of these yeah, two. How's that? You guys are, both of you come on right. up. Good job. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> Woo. Here you go. Thank you so much. We'll have another quiz question in a moment. But in the meantime, I'm going to ask another question from the Twitterverse. Again, we don't have enough time to answer everybody's question, but if possible, Congratulations, well done, woo. Okay, <laughs> here's the thing. Um, someone named Splork the Teleporter <laughs> has asked a question on Twitter, and if you have a question, at the universe there. Uh, gene editing, gene editing. How far could that go? Crazy. <laughs> I think that's a song, right? Gene editing, gene editing, how far could that go? All right. <laughs> Both of you. Mandy first, then Kendra. How far can gene editing go? It can go very far. It's gotten us very far. Gene editing is something we've been doing for a long time. It's called agriculture. <laughs> <laughs> We're mixing things and mixing genes together to build something that's more robust generally when you're using it for the good and not for the bad. And so gene editing has enabled us to you know, feed the world quite literally. And it will, in the, the current technologies being applied, one in which I mentioned CRISPR, where we can more seamlessly cut and insert and take out different parts of a gene, means that we can do things that we couldn't do before in a more, much more effective way. So when we're talking about enhancing um, human abilities, whether it's physical or intellectual, you can use technologies potentially like CRISPR to do those things. Uh, and one thing that Kendra brought up earlier that's important to think about when we think about gene editing is the ethics behind it, right? Because when we think about gene editing for bad, eugenics, <laughs> it's a big issue. Uh, yeah. And so this is one of the situations where scientists are really in front of the policy and in front of the ethics, and we need to sometimes pause and wheel back about what will we do and what can we do and should we do it? You know, with great power comes great responsibility, and gene editing is definitely a superpower no. that requires super responsibility. Excellent point. Excellent point. Yeah, I agree, everybody. All right. Now, we'll go to the social side also. Uh, there's another question. And Kendra, I know you have a background in social science, specifically economics, so you can... You Don't can hold that against me. No. <laughs> it's exactly perfect, in fact, for this following question from Rebecca Freed. Every time the Avengers go anywhere, there's massive destruction. <laughs> How can we accept their help when they just destroy our cities? 
I mean, there's a side factor, which is if you're looking at it from a GDP perspective, it's stimulating the economy because it doesn't really care. What <laughs> 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 yeah, we, we need somebody to fill in these holes. Uh, oh, look at that. Our, our numbers are better. <laughs> Is that how that goes? Um, I'm guessing that the, the, the benefits outweigh the cost. You know, um, ending civilization as we know it is worth a few destroyed buildings. <laughs> um, but also, when you see the Hulk, it's probably a good time to, you know, move to Greenland. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, right? Isn't that where you're always supposed to go? That is always where we're supposed to go, I've Greenland. Been to Greenland. I think there was it's actually lovely. a they movie recently starring George Clooney. Yeah, going to Greenland to save themselves from uh. something. Okay, Susan Sword asks, and this is, I'll try to take this a little bit and then ask you all to comment a little further. How can we ever know that an android or synthetic man like Vision has truly graduated from weak artificial intelligence to strong artificial intelligence? Can we ever be confident that a programmed person is not just a philosophical zombie, right? Oh, interestingly, that question was asked by another person named Matthew. Nice job, the two of you. Both of you asked the same question, so let me ask you, which one of you is the true question asker? <laughs> Neither is the true question asker. Both are the true question askers. I am, of course, referring to the ship of Theseus, my favorite, favorite line of dialogue in all the Marvel Cinematic Universe so far, even though that was on the show WandaVision, right? <laughs> For those of you who aren't quite clear on this, I'll just bring it up, and then we'll talk about it a little bit. Basically, Vision, the colorful one, is fighting Vision, the white one without ruining it and seeing what happens, they wind up having a metaphysical discussion about a philosophical idea called the Ship of Theseus. You are familiar with the metaphysical, the identity metaphysics, you know, the Ship of Theseus, naturally, right? The Ship of Theseus is an artifact in a museum. Over time, its planks of wood rot and are replaced with new planks. When no original plank remains, is it still the Ship of Theseus? In other words, if we replace all of our parts, what's still there of us? What is the identity? The philosophical zombie question that has been asked here is exactly that point, isn't it? Are we, as creatures, that have had our cells replaced over time? Or if we have had a technology added to us, a prosthetic limb, for example, a pacemaker, an artificial heart, are we still who we were? Or are we something new? Are we something different? That is a great question. And I don't know the answer to that. Uh, the, the artificial intelligence argument about you know, the strong Turing test and things like that, about whether or not we can tell something is intelligent, is starting to break down in our society. We cannot tell in many instances without very, very careful study whether or not something is sentient or conscious or not. There are now artificial intelligence organizations that record you or a whole bunch of your texts and then you can talk back to yourself or talk back to somebody who has died and get answers that are remarkably like what they would have told you. These are amazing questions of identity and thought which I just don't have a good answer to. I'm gonna start by asking Mandy. Listen, I don't know the answer to this, so you can. You know better than <laughs> I do how we are very temporary physically. Our skin cells have died every few weeks. Right. Our blood cells die every few weeks. Our, our bone cells die every few years. Are we still who we were 30 years ago, 40 years ago? Or are we somehow different? And if we are the same, how are we the same? This is, this is a big question, of course. In I science. only save big questions for you. <laughs> and I wouldn't expect anything else from, from Charles. <laughs> so, so there's something called the, um, the brain initiative that's currently going on uh, in the biological field in which we're trying to map all of the connections that are happening in the brain, map all of the neurons, all of these different things that are going on. And, and, and there's the idea that if we know this map, then we might be able to, you know, be able to tell who's sentient and who's not. But there's also the conscious and the unconscious, and that's, that's beyond just knowing the map, right? That's, just, that's more than knowing neuron A is connecting to neuron B, and if I pinch you, one neuron says to the other, to your brain, ouch, and you, move away. There are parts of the brain that are, that are dark, <laughs> the 
quite literally, because we don't know what's going on. And, and it's in that darkness where we have those questions of conscious versus unconscious and, and sentient versus non-sentient. And so I don't really know how we're going to, to tackle that question. How are we going to identify what is consciousness and can we, in a scientific way, test it in the way that scientists like to test things. You know, if you come up with a hypothesis, you go in the lab and you can either prove or disprove it. Can we disprove consciousness is, is a big question. Huge and I question. Don't know. Yeah, and, and this pays right into the same point that Dave Kozlowski has asked us on Twitter. Uh, for the escape velocity of the human life expectancy, what about cell degradation? Right? Outside that's of illness and disease is the problem that our simply cells break down and stop working. Right. Let's just replace them with new cells. <laughs> right? Why not? Why not live forever? Because we know how to make cells now. 100 stem years from cells. now, it might, yeah, stem cells. We might be able to make it very, very easily. It's quite amazing. Now, right. Kendra, what do you think? So Are I don't have real? a scientific answer because I don't fully know if I'm sentient. But, um, but I have a personal. How many of you are sentient? <laughs> uh, Beam me up, Scotty. There's no intelligent life on this planet. Yeah, we, we've of, seen these t-shirts. I mean, are they the same person when they go through the transporter? But, um, Ooh. <laughs> oh, man. But I have a personal anecdote, which is several years ago, um, I kept running into this issue where I would tell people how tall I was, and they were like, no, you're not that tall. You're taller. And I'd be like, I think I know how tall I am. <laughs> and so finally, I went to the doctor, and I was like, you know what? This is kind of getting annoying. Can you measure me? And I had spent 10 years of my life thinking I was five foot five and a quarter, and I was incorrect. I was five foot six. And I only found this out like three years ago, and it still bothers me. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> what else don't I know about myself? Um, so that, that isn't really answering the question, but I guess that it does sort of reflect the idea that there are limits of knowing and the ways that we know ourselves, and, often, and sometimes the way that we know ourselves is wrong and other people know us better than we know ourselves, so maybe I am secretly a robot. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question. Okay, yeah. here's a biomechanical question, and then we're going to give away another thing, and we're going to be running low on time. I think that'll be you know, close to when we kind of wrap up. Mandy, Andrew Knowles wants to know, would Spider-Man's arm just rip off when he swings? <laughs> Despite the multiple, multiple human strength he has, would the momentum just rip his arm off, or are bodies made of sterner stuff? That's a physical question. <laughs> yeah, but it's and I'm a chemist. And yeah, no, it won't, because if you've seen spiders building their webs and, and they swing from one side to the others, spider, spiders' webs are very strong. And so if you're holding on to something very strong, you're not using as much of your body as, as you might think you're using, because you're swinging on this very strong uh, silk thread. Wow. There you go, everybody. <laughs> Great question. Okay, good answers. Now, let's give okay, away another give thing. Away. All, right, All right, so, so here's once the again, question. we got a quiz question, and then Kendra's going to choose a person, and then we hope you answer this question real quick. Go. Again, giveaway for Biome Builder, a game in which you discover plants, animals that live in the Amazon rainforest, and then you race to build the richest uh, food chains and ensure the survival of your biome. And the question is, Name three characters that are also venomous creatures. <laughs> Might be. These are superhero characters, but they're also venomous creatures. I'll give you one. Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah. Wait, that oh, sorry, Kendra's picking. The Go ahead. Woman, I think you're a woman, I, a person with glasses on your head. Sorry, it, the light is very bright. The wasp and Black Widow do have stings. Yes, yes. Those would, and the, the, the Spider-Man would be the other one that and I gave you, so that's too. correct. We also yay! have, yay! <laughs> you also have Scorpion, and you have Shrew. Ooh, They're also venomous. And Viper. And Viper. Who, right? Viper, of course, hasn't shown up in the Marvel Cinematic Universe yet because of Wolverine not being part of that thing but I can't talk about that, can I? <laughs> no spoilers. No spoilers. No spoilers. Okay, spoilers sorry, check. we'll stop that. <laughs> <coughs> Never mind. Actually, that is a very interesting thing when, well, no, 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 spoilers, no, no, spoilers, no spoilers, no spoilers, no spoilers. <laughs> sorry, 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 sorry. Okay, so why don't we end on a couple of these questions? I think we have enough time. Um, one question for me, myself, and then one for the, all the rest of the, uh, all three of us to answer, okay? Francis yeah. Chin asks, matching up something that we're talking about now, 
with the, the concept of multiverse, could the ship of Theseus be used to model the multiverse? Each replacement changes our reality. Ooh, yes, everyone. Ooh. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> yes, I think that is a good way to think about it. But remember, the many worlds interpretation of quantum mechanics actually has connections of new universes literally moment by moment. We're actually not just talking about new identities and new consciousnesses, but new entire realities. So right now, if the many worlds interpretation is true, we have just gone through a bazillion new universes. And so, yes, some of our cells have disappeared during that time, but actually of those zillion, how come we are experiencing only one? It might be an energy issue, we don't know yet. But yes, every time we get replaced, every time something gets replaced, we are new. And yet we are still old, aren't we? Because I'm pretty sure I'm the same person I was five seconds ago. All right, five, five years ago, I don't know. I, I hope I've changed and gotten better, <laughs> but we'll see how that goes. So that's a great question, thank you. And so now, for all three of us, okay? All three of us, here's this question. From Dara Hill, if multiverse theory is true, which universe would you want to travel to? Kendra, put you on the spot. You don't have, you have less time to think than the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm good. You know, uh, I think I'm, I'm good staying here. Really? If even I've though we have all this ecological issues, even though we have all these uh, social issues, you're good with this one? Yes, yeah, so I spent a lot of time watching the CW, and all I think about <laughs> is um, the world they went to, what is it, Earth X? Right? Ooh. You know, like, with my luck, that's where I would end up. So <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. This one you're is, good. yeah, I'm good. All right, you're good. Mandy. I, I'm going to say the same. I'm, I'm very really? happy in this universe. I think that we are uh, just looking at our universe itself. The Earth is the only place we as humans can currently live. <laughs> and so <laughs> I'm not going to chance going out into the unknown just yet. Um, Charles thinks we'll be on Mars in 100 years, so maybe I'll go to Mars. But I think well, we've got it pretty sweet here. We've got oxygen. <laughs> we've got water. We've got all the things we need as humans to survive. So let's, <laughs> let's be kind to our planet. So I, uh, thank you. So yeah. isn't it interesting that both e ecological, biological, <laughs> science type people like our universe better than any other? I think that means something, doesn't it? I think that really means something. I actually think it and just means we're black. It's like time travel. There are just certain things that black people don't fuck around with. <laughs> 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 okay, I will give in 30 seconds. <laughs> Thank you. What, what a great comment. Um, I will give my 30 seconds worth of what universe I would like to live in. And this is very geeky and it's straight science, but I hope it's okay. According to the theory called Randall-Sundrum theory, which is put to get, was put together by Lisa Randall and Bala Sundrum some years ago, our universe is actually connected through the five-dimensional uh, membrane that we live on to another four-dimensional space-time. But somehow that four-dimensional space-time is connected in such a way that it has changed the scale of gravity as a gravitational power. So that's why the gravity as a force is so weak compared to electromagnetism or the nuclear forces. Again, very geeky, <laughs> but I would love to go to that universe because then gravity would be strong and electromagnetism and the nuclear forces would be weak, which means that we, if we were on that universe, we would be the superheroes. We would be the super creatures because we have mass. And all the other creatures that have very little or no mass, they would bow down before us all. <laughs> I would like to visit that universe and see what it's like and then come back. So what Charles is admitting is he's Loki. He's Loki. <laughs> he's admitting. I guess I'm guilty as charged. <laughs> so everybody, this has been such an amazing time. I would like, if it's okay, I'm gonna take my, my mask off for just a minute. And uh, can we take a picture with you? Can, 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 I, can we have this picture? Ben, our producer, is gonna take a picture. Uh, so you're gonna see the back of my head, right? Okay, you guys, this is your shot, everybody. Okay, get ready. Ben's gonna take a gazillion cool photos. Hold up your swag. You know, smile, do stuff, we have, have fun. We have two more to give away. Okay, we and then we have two last. more other games to give away. We have to figure out one how to do that because we're out of time. But yeah. we'll, we'll ask the question after the after the panel. Does that sound good? Okay, everybody ready? Okay, three, 
two, one. Cheese! Hey! Big loud, big loud. All right. Thank you all so much. Thank it's been you. such a pleasure for being here at New York Comic Con. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay, so if you want to stick around for There's this, there's two gift, games. One last question. Yep, Quick stick one. Around. Otherwise, Again with head off to your next yeah. thing because I know the time is going on. So thank you so so much. All right. So here are the sticking game with giving. the Spider Man again. Spider Man. Uh, so name all of Peter's science professors that later became mad scientists. Do you remember Name them? all of Peter's <laughs> professors that became mad scientists eventually? Yeah. This guy right here. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Kirk Connors became the reptile. He became the lizard. The lizard, excuse yeah. me. Yes. Jackal. The jackal. Han. And Dr. Otto became... Yeah, Dr. Doc Ock. Ock. Yay. <laughs> all right, good all right. job. Uh, whoever... It was a collective answer. Do you want a game? Take Are a you game. For sure, get a game. <laughs> yeah, sure. Thank you all so very, very much. No. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you, everybody. I'm still here for a few minutes. Happy to answer questions and talk some more. But otherwise, go. Have a great evening. Thank you so much.